Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring, fascinating women who are navigating aging with class and sass. I'm your host, Nicole Christina. Hey everyone, I am so grateful for all of the downloads, and I'd love a rating on iTunes and a comment. And please subscribe. It helps the show's rating so other people can find it and learn how to age well. And if you are loving the podcast, why not check out the companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You can access it through my website, NicoleChristina.com forward slash Zestful Aging. It's based on the Harvard Study of Adult Development, and I'm really proud of how it's turned out. Well, I've got my coffee in my hand and my trusty dog Sparky beside me, so let's begin. Eve Abrams is an audio documentarian, writer, and educator. She produces the audio project Unprisoned, which focuses on how mass incarceration affects people serving time outside. Unprisoned has received a Gabriel Award, a New Orleans Press Club Award, and was a Peabody finalist. Abrams' 2015 documentary, Along St. Claude, received the Edward R. Murrow Award and a New Orleans Press Club Award. Her radio works can be heard on a host of national programs, such as Morning Edition and Reveal. Abrams is currently a Robert Rauschenberg artist as activist fellow. Eve has been a teacher for over 20 years, and she currently teaches at a boys' home in New Orleans. So uh, could you talk about how you started getting interested in the mass incarceration that you were seeing in your adopted home state? Well, you know, immediately when you come to Louisiana, you're confronted by the most beautiful and the most ugly parts of our country. And and that's true in New Orleans as well. In fact, it's probably more stark in New Orleans. Um, and the fact that these two things can coexist side by side is really, I think, probably where the, a lot of the beauty of New Orleans comes from. But I, for many, many years, was sim- as a transplant, was simply overwhelmed with the beauty of the place. And I knew of so many people who were working in criminal justice. And, and that is the reason why so many people come to New Orleans is to work on criminal justice issues. And it was always a bit overwhelming to me. It was something that I sort of put off to the side and, and chose not to think about. And then in 2015, an organization called Amer- oh, excuse me, Association of Independence and Radio, AIR, they put out a call to independent producers, which is what I am, an independent radio producer, to do projects about the underlooked, overlooked pockets of our country, the people whose voices we don't hear from, the communities that we don't see. And it was sort of instantaneous. I knew, wow, I, I want to talk about the families 
uh, and the neighborhoods and all the other folks who are implicated by mass incarceration. It was sort of an aha moment. So I applied for funding from AIR. This was called Localore Finding America was the name of the initiative. And I got the funding. And so I sort of just plunged in. I really didn't know anything about it. I reached out to everybody I knew. And the fact of the matter is, because this problem is so pervasive in New Orleans, because we are the largest incarcerator per capita of any place on the planet, it was not a challenge to find people who are impacted by it. So I, I really, in my first season working on Imprisoned, I just went for the lowest hanging fruit. And, um, you know, there's I learned a tremendous amount, and there is so much more I have to learn. I'm wondering, I've listened to many of your episodes, and, and they are so powerful, and they're they're compelling. Uh, there's just, they're so beautiful. And oh, come, thank you. You come at it with such a tenderness, I think, and also just this deep curiosity. How has learning about... Um, your is it okay to say is it your subjects as a documentary person oh that, the, peop- the, the people the people i've met people you yes the people you've met how has that sort of changed your personal outlook well i think this entire project has been this ongoing rolling revelation of my white privilege and i don't anticipate that ending anytime soon because White privilege, like any kind of privilege, is something that is invisible. That's how it functions. You don't realize you have it. Uh, It is not said. It is simply there. And I, I, I can't really even say I completely see it now, but I see it a lot more than I did before. Um, And it's constantly unfolding to me that the norms I take for how life should be lived and and what society is like and how the the power structures of society work heretofore i had felt that they were here for citizens they were here for the people and in understanding and becoming intimate and proximate with other people who have different realities it is so clear to me that our society is built upon white supremacy and i have benefited from that and my reality is not the reality of so many of my fellow citizens. And it, um, it enrages me on a regular basis. And hopefully it helps me appreciate that which I have. And it also strengthens my resolve to use my privilege for a purpose. And that purpose is to change the way that things are. We should we should live up to the ideals that we profess to. And we don't. We don't. And that, you know, there's one wonderful man, Calvin Duncan. Who I, it, I remember the judge that you... Oh, no. Oh. That's that's Calvin Johnson. He's also okay. incredible. He's incredible. Yeah. Calvin Duncan is uh, becoming a lawyer. He's a brilliant, wonderful man who was wrongfully incarcerated for decades at Angola Penitentiary. He's in um, several of the episodes. And I think it's episode number six, the one about the synagogue. Um, He's in that one quite prominently. And he says in that episode, you know, it's a privilege if you've never been thrown into the back of a police car. And to those who have been given much, much is expected. And I think about his words all the time. I think that's quite true. I 
this is something I I owe my fellow citizens and my country. I, you know, I'm a I'm a big believer in in the possibility of America, and it's quite startling to see the reality of it. And I feel like my work is just holding a, you know, a microscope and a microphone up to that other reality and, and really becoming a megaphone for these other voices. And that's how I see, that's the best use of making, of my voice. That's the best use I can make of my voice is to help amplify the voices of other people that are excluded either overtly or um, de facto from a larger societal conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about how it is for you to be, you know, a white New Yorker. Um, and I did pick up the accent. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a New Yorker, actually. Okay. I'm oh. not I'm not from New York. I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. Yes. And I moved to New York after college. Gotcha. Okay. So you have a sort of a northeast Correct. You know, sound, yes. right? Yes. And do you do you feel as though people who you meet um, really accept and trust your your aims here and they're they're willing to speak with you vulnerably and honestly given the fact that there's such a power differential? I find when you are recording other people and asking them to be themselves and to share of themselves that the most powerful tool you have at your disposal is to do likewise and to be yourself and to show your humanity. There have been a couple interviews in my 12 years as a radio producer that didn't work out so well, but really I could count them on one hand and the vast majority I've, I've never had a problem. It also does not hurt that New Orleanians are just some of the most beautiful, open, wonderful people you will ever meet in your life. It's just part of the culture and it hasn't been a challenge for me. It really hasn't. Mm-hmm. I can hear the love when you talk about the beauty. And, um, you know, I, I remember the episode you did on costuming, on how uh, you interviewed some people who had their their Tupperware crazy <laughs> costumes and that that was the only place they felt comfortable to do uh, their costumes, wear their costumes proudly. And I can hear, you know, as you talk about it, just the love you feel for this place. Well, it's an incredible place. There's there's nowhere else like it. It, it's, it has incredible problems. I mean, it's it's the most beautiful and the most horrific place. And that creates quite a dynamicism. Is that a word? It's a, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really incredible place. And I feel so privileged to have found it. And I just hope I get to live here as long as I can. I don't think New Orleans, unfortunately, I don't think New Orleans is long for this planet, but I, I hope to be here for quite some time. What do you mean when you say that? What's, what's your primary concern about what's going to happen to it? Oh, well, global warming, sea level rise. We are mm-hmm. losing our wetlands. Our land is sinking. We're on the coast. Um, we seem intent on not curbing our energy use in our country or on this planet. And, uh, I think we are, um, all in for a lot of changes and New Orleans is one of the places that's on the front line of that change. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's it's a scary place. It's a scary time to be alive. Um, so how do you keep from being overwhelmed by some of the painful aspects? Because you're obviously very sensitive to social justice issues. And it sounds like, you know, there's so many you Mm. can choose. Mm -hmm. And you've chosen um, the mass incarceration. How do you personally keep your own sort of head above water and, and keep going when it's it's a lot to it's a lot to process mm-hmm. well sometimes I don't um, my body has taken quite a hit I um, you know I exercise pretty much every day I, I go swimming every other day I do yoga every other day I bike everywhere but I um, I get a lot of body work these days as much as I can afford because my body really takes a hit my, my neck my shoulders headaches um, but I you know I have a beautiful garden I have a wonderful partner I have cats I have friends I have New Orleans you know I have I have New Orleans I I go hear music I talk with my neighbors you know it's 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 sometimes it's easier than others you know I, I it's it's hard it can be a real challenge um, I don't have a magic bullet but I I am buttressed by the reality that I have it really good. I have the resources to even combat all of those things I just named, and many, many, many people do not. I also um, read quite a bit of fiction. That is a big help. That, you know, for years I, I didn't have the time or I felt I didn't have the time to read fiction, but ever since the most recent presidential election, mm-hmm. I have prioritized reading fiction, and that has been a tremendous help. What books are you reading? Oh, gosh, I should go and run. I can't even remember the name of the the wonderful book I just started. Let me see if I can find it on my computer because I just got it from the um, the, the public library, and it's so good. It's about trees. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's fiction, um, but it's about trees, and it's by Richard somebody. Let's see if I can. Oh, here it is. Uh, it's called The Overstory by Richard Powers. Oh, what a great name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that has been wonderful so far. Um, right before that, the last novel I read is The Hate You Give, which is a young adult novel. It's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Mm. What a great novel. I- I think I've heard of that one. Do you have peers and friends um, in the business who are doing this kind of reporting that that are sort of a support group for you? I have a collaborator in New Orleans. Her name is Katie Rechtal, and she is a fabulous print reporter, and I would not have been able to do this project without her. She's really, truly incredible. I have other radio folks in town. I edit another podcast called Tripod, which is a history podcast of New Orleans, which is wonderful. That's produced by Lane Kaplan Levinson. I can't recommend that enough. Um, And then I have, uh, you know, many, many colleagues um, who also did local lower finding America projects. I have other radio colleagues. I have, 
friends, lots of friends in New Orleans, both in the social justice world and without, and, you know, and not in that world. And then my husband is a musician. I'm surrounded by musicians, you know, which is a fabulous, fabulous, um, inspiration to be around all this incredible artistry in my, in my adopted hometown. So, yeah, I mean, I think also New Orleans is such a small town that, it's the kind of thing where I go to the grocery store or the pool or the post office and, you know, people are constantly telling me how much they love Unprisoned. And that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. Hello, Zestful Agers. A short intermission to thank you for the incredible amount of downloads. I love creating this podcast and it's so satisfying to know that you are enjoying it too. Creating and hosting Zestful Aging has been a blast, but it does require a lot of time and resources to deliver a high-quality interview to you every week. So I've signed up with Patreon, which is kind of like Kickstarter, but for ongoing artistic projects. Unlike Kickstarter, the donations are recurrent and the amount is usually smaller. When you become a patron of Zestful Aging, you will receive special benefits like behind-the-scenes info, a place to communicate with other listeners, as well as other patron-only bonuses. These funds will be used to make equipment upgrades, particularly for mobile interviewing, and to travel to interview guests, like to New York City to interview participants in the Diversity Fashion Show. I also need to hire a professional editor. So please go to patreon.com forward slash zestful aging and make a small but vital donation. Thank you for contributing to the ongoing success of Zestful Aging, and I can't wait to bring you more juicy, inspiring interviews. Now back to the show. You're doing so many of the things that uh, science is proving are really health promoting. Your community, your sense of gratitude, doing meaningful work, listening to music, which we know changes our brain for mm. the better. You're, you're, you're hitting a lot of the big ones. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know whether, you know, certainly the yoga and all that. But, you know, this this idea that you really love where you live and you're so invested and the curiosity. I mean, those are all like gold for, for you know, our, our development and our evolution and our sort of metamorphosis. Um, so just just to let you know, you're, <laughs> you're checking up all the boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Do you have any uh, thoughts about um, any other projects either coming out of Unprisoned or just other projects you think, wow, I would love to sink my teeth into that? Yeah, I do. There are a couple different, I'm already, I have to produce the second season of Unprisoned and that's what I'm currently working on. Um, but I've become really interested, you know, so much of the way that we, manifest crime and punishment is in this country is embedded in our history, our racial history, 
And there's a really wonderful podcast by my first radio teacher named John Bewin. I can't recommend this podcast enough. It's called Seeing White. Okay. And it's actually, it's part of his, um, his podcast, Scene on Radio, S-C-E-N-E, Scene on Radio. It's a series. Oh. I think it's 14 parts called Seeing White. You could find it just by looking okay. for Seeing White. Sure. And it really looks at what it means to be white in this country. And, you know, through listening to this podcast and my own work, I've just come to think so much about the way that the legacy of slavery has changed and um, and how we've been so, I think our fear of apologizing and not even apologizing, but just seeing clearly and owning up to, recon, you know, our, our, our fear of reconciling with this horrible legacy. And I, I just think it's that fear of apologizing, that fear of owning up to has created so much more damage in our society. And so I'm quite interested in how slavery is taught to young people and how it is and is not recognized in our city. You know, in New Orleans here, we're having our 300 year anniversary of New Orleans as a city, which many people could call the 300 year anniversary of uh, taking land from Native Americans. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much celebrating going on. And one, there are a couple groups in the city who are really dedicated to showing the, the racial and the slave history of our city, which is largely ignored. Two plaques have just recently gone up in the city to note places where human beings were bought and sold. Mm. And, you know, New Orleans was the hub of the domestic slave trade. And to think that there are just two plaques that went up within the last year that speak of this history, I just find that abhorrent. And I think so much of the controversy, for example, surrounding our monuments, et cetera, really comes from a lack of understanding and acceptance of what our history actually is. And so I'm, I'm very interested in a project that looks into really how how that history is taught and, and exploring how it should be taught, um, something along those lines. That is very interesting to me. And then I'm also... Your t yeah, as a teacher also. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but I can see that, that that sort of weaves in your old life with your new life. Right, and and actually, I've never really given up teaching, so it's... But, but yes, as a full-time occupation, it is my old life, for sure. Um... So I'm interested in that. And then I, quite separately, actually, I've been involved recently in a land use battle in my neighborhood, which was a real David and Goliath story. And my neighbors and I incredibly won the most recent battle. I don't know if we've won the war, but we definitely have won the most recent battle. And my experience fighting developers and having to admit, well, actually fight <laughs> fight the woman who was elected to represent us in city council, who thankfully just left her office. Um, that has really gotten me 
thinking about participation in government. And so that is also something that I'm really thinking about. Thoughts about Justin Trudeau, and uh, you know, in terms of his apology um, to the people who came before, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, Germany making apologies. Thought thoughts about that? Well, I, you know, I think you can't really move on until you acknowledge the truth. I think we've all experienced this. You know, you, you get into a fight with somebody. And everybody becomes entrenched in their position. And when you simply say, I'm sorry, and you mean it, it really can melt away a lot of the acrimony. And Absolutely. You know, there, there was this book that I, I actually haven't read it, which is a shame because I talk about it as though I've read it. But I heard the author <laughs> interviewed on Fresh Air. Mm-hmm. And the book is called Tomlinson Hill. And it's about... A man named something Tomlinson who was an international correspondent, a writer, and he covered the peace and reconciliation process in Rwanda, Mm -hmm. and which sounds like an incredible moment of actually you 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 come together, you tell your truth, you establish a truth that is universally acknowledged and includes all of the horrors, you know, you don't hide that away. You, you bring it out into the open and then you move on. And he covered this and he realized we have not done this in our country. And he is from a place in Texas called Tomlinson Hill. And his forebearers were slave owners. And he went back and he really researched his family history. And he exposed this narrative. You know, so many people who have like you know whose who's forebearers own slaves the story that they tell themselves is well we were the good ones we were the good slave owners ah. and he revealed that in the case of his family and probably in the case of the vast majority of families that is absolutely not a, the, the truth that's a fiction that we tell ourselves and he uncovered uh, primary documents letters from his great 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 whatevers um, talking, you know, in rather mundane terms about the, necessi- the necessity of brutalizing their workforce. Mm. And he went on to find both the, he, he went on to find the, the African-American descendants of the people that his family enslaved. And. Wow. Yeah, it's a really incredible it sounds like a really incredible book. And I feel like that sort of reckoning writ large would is what is required for our country to truly move on. Did you ever see the film, it was, it was many years ago, called The Nasty Girl? I did not. It's about a young woman in Germany. She's a high, if I recall, this is probably at least 10 years ago, and she's writing a paper, and she goes and uncovers the town's history. Mm. And as you can uh, imagine, she it's she's not entirely popular mm-hmm. after she does that, and to mm-hmm. see some of the elders and uh, what happens and how she becomes demonized mm. after exposing some of the truths. It's a fascinating 
uh, film, mm. um, and it, 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 it reminds me of what what you're talking about. That sounds great. Yeah. 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 I think we have a lot of fear of admitting the truth because sometimes the truth is very ugly, but I don't think that lies ever really work in the end. I think you end up just causing a lot more pain and it's just a lot easier to be truthful and honest and experience. You know, we're so afraid of discomfort and pain and and so there's this instinct to, to just keep it nice. And I don't know. It's just not the tradition I come from. I'm Jewish and everything is out in the air all the time. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And you get Talmudic about it. And then, you know, hopefully you're, you know where you stand and you can move on. And you're not constantly tiptoeing around something. Is that part of what makes you so passionate about uncovering these stories of injustice? Do you think your history as a Jewish woman? Oh, probably. I think it's just, I, I'm, you know, I don't suffer fools lightly and I can't, I'm not good at masking how I feel. I'm actually rather terrible at it. I'm, I'm a no bullshit kind of person. So it's mm-hmm. just the way I've always been. I, I don't know. Is it, is it my particular genetic makeup? Is it the culture mm-hmm. from which I come? I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about Rwanda and, you know, I mentioned Justin Trudeau in Germany. Why do you think the U.S., this is a, this is a, a what they call a fat pitch, right? Why, why do you think the U.S. has been so slow in acknowledging our history and, and coming up with an apology? Well, the American myth rests on a very different narrative, and I don't think we're willing to abandon that narrative. And the narrative being? Oh, that we're somehow an exception to the rule, that that we're this incredible place of, you know. We're special. Yeah, we're special. We're the, uh, you know, exceptional. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think we're so exceptional. I think we, um, you know, in my opinion, our strength comes from our our diversity. I'm, I'm firmly in that camp. And I think for anything to truly be strong, I think real strength comes from truth. If you're hiding behind something, mm-hmm. if you're afraid to face something, I think that means you think you can't withstand it. And... I think people who are afraid to really look at America's history truthfully, that means that they don't think America can take the truth. We can't survive reality. Um, I, th- I would argue that those people have a lesser opinion of the capacity of our country. Hmm. That's very interesting. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. Yeah, you know, I think about it as a rationalization somehow. Well, it that, is. Yeah. It is a rationalization. It's a lot easier to be copacetic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's less work. Do you ever need to take a break? Do you ever need <laughs> to leave? I know you do a really good job with your exercise and your people and your music. All that is, is, is nurturing. Do you ever have to leave? Heck yeah. Have you ever been in New Orleans in the summer? It's a nightmare. <laughs> I, I have been a lot of places, but I have never been there. 
don't come in the summer. It's so hot. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. We now have central air conditioning, but before we did, on a daily basis, I would think I was going literally insane. And then I realized, no, I'm just hot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we. I my husband is from Ithaca, New York, which is mm-hmm. a really beautiful place. And we that's go- right near us. That's right near where I'm. Um- yeah podcasting from right right Mm -hmm. yes so we go there every summer and we take a vacation and um yeah I I just the other day I was fantasizing about going to the the coast the the Florida coast for a little bit um I don't I don't do that very much but I do fantasize about it yeah no I most miss living down here I most miss topography I love walking in the woods I love a vista and there's no vista around here sister so (laughs) yeah yeah we like to go to a national park every summer last year we went to the Olympic Peninsula which was just unbelievable yeah no I need I need to replenish I mean I think the greatest gift we have is uh this planet and um I'd like to see more of it before I before I go Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. I love to hear from my listeners, so send me an email at nicolechristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. I would also greatly appreciate if you could hop on iTunes and rate the show. Ratings help other people find the podcast so I can share all these good, juicy interviews with others. I would also invite you to become a patron of the Zestful Aging Podcast. Hop on over to patreon.com forward slash Zestful Aging and consider making a small donation. You will be eligible for insider-only goodies and behind-the-scenes information, and it'll help you feel good knowing that you're contributing to the Zestful Aging Podcast. I'll look forward to sharing more juicy interviews next week on Zestful Aging.